Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. I am Doris Hansen, your host for the program, and we're glad that you have chosen to share some of your evening with us uh, to watch our show. Tonight's guest is a wellspring of information about the historical polygamy and early Mormonism. He has written and edited more than 20 books on overland immigration, frontier violence, railroads, mining, um, and Mormons, which of course includes Mormon polygamy. Some love him and some hate him, but his work has won every major prize in Western history, including the John W. Coy Prize for the year's most distinguished book on the history of the American West and the Merrill J. Mottis Award for Excellence in Writing. He is not anti-anything. He simply tries to tell the stories and find the truth of what happened. I'd like to introduce and welcome tonight's special guest, Will Bagley. Thank you, Will, for being here. Well, thank you for the very kind introduction. <laughs> We've got some good stuff to talk about tonight. Uh, a lot of the, the early West Mormon polygamy and some of the stories that go along with it. It's got quite a rich heritage. That, uh, they're amazing that, stories. <laughs> yes, there are. And, and they're very human stories. They, they tell us a lot about the human experience in the West, uh, the trials that men and women both went through. Uh, and and show us a lot about what a remarkable place we live in. And we do. It's got a very rich, interesting history. Uh, we are going to be talking about a couple of books and even more than that, but this is particularly, you wrote a book entitled Always a Cowboy, and it's about the, the um, Charles McCarthy family. Yes. Is, is that correct? Charles and Wilson McCarthy. And there's a picture of the book there on the screen. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And there's also one here about the Kingdom of the West series, which is uh, doing the works of Abraham. We're going to talk about some of the things that's in that book. But you've also had other works. What would you, you've got new, a new book that's come out. Plus you've got a YouTube um, a recent in, interview that you'd like to talk about a little bit. Well, uh, I, I'm working on a four-volume narrative history of the Oregon California trails and the first volume uh, so rugged and mountainous blazing the trails to Oregon and California won the Wrangler Award which is sort of the Oscar of Western history wow. <clears throat> and the second volume will be out on September 11th Ooh. and it's called with golden visions bright before them trails to the mining west and it takes the story up to 1852. Mm. Uh, but my, my most recent book with David Bigler, and David is my mentor, my patron, my, uh, my living father, and he's also a very devout evangelical Christian, uh, which I must say I'm not. But David is, and his perspective, this 
he's now 85 years old, and this will probably be his last book. Oh. But uh, we just learned last week that this book won the Western Writers of America Spur wow. Award. Wow, congratulations. And it's a quite wonderful. Awesome. And if you want to know <laughs> what we have learned about Mountain Meadows since my first book on Mountain Meadows, uh, Blood of the Prophets, it's in here, and it contains and incorporates the information that they wouldn't let us see when David and I wrote our oh, earlier works. When you say they, who are they? Uh, the brethren. <laughs> the Both Church guys, of huh? Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> okay. And <clears throat> they, they spent uh, some, something north of $10 million to refute Blood of the Prophets. And wow. after this book appeared, uh, it got a critical review in the Utah Historical Quarterly. Uh, that made a bunch of false charges about the book. But I then learned that that historian who works for the church and uh, his, his faithful companion back in Virginia are going to write their book about the oh, Utah War. Oh, okay. And I don't think they'll spend $10 million on it. But, uh, <laughs> but th th this is, I believe, uh, the best honest history, maybe in many ways the first honest history, of the Utah Rebellion, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the conflict between the United States government and uh, the Mormon Church in 1857 mm -hmm. that incorporated the Mountain Meadows Massacre and brought uh, federal authority into Utah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, our, you know, our show is on polygamy, and since you brought up the Mountain Meadows Massacre, what part did polygamy play in that event? Well, <clears throat> it's hard for a lot of Mormons to see that polygamy had anything to do with this mass murder in southern Utah. But the way that David and I see it, the causal event uh, was the murder of the Apostle Parley P. Pratt, who is a great-great-grandfather of Mitt Romney. And Pratt was the husband of... 12 wives, and wife number 12 was married to a man named Hector McLean, uh -huh. and Hector did not like having his wife and children stolen, and uh, in a very convoluted, very romantic story, uh, McLean chased Pratt all over the eastern United States, up and down the Mississippi River, and finally tracked him to Indian Territory, and caught Pratt uh, with the help of the United States Army, wow. and <laughs> got him arrested and taken to Fort Smith, Arkansas, for stealing uh, his children's Hector's children's clothes. So he he let he let Par he let Parley take his wife, but he couldn't have the kids. But then he came out later to steal the kids. Isn't that what well, happened? Well, he didn't he didn't want Parley to take his wife. His wife left. But he said but he said she could go, but he couldn't. The kids couldn't go with or something like that. And the 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 wife's parents didn't want. She abducted the children from her parents, who were uh, taking care of them, where Hector had sent them, but. Uh, so Pratt was taken into federal custody, and the federal magistrate heard the case, and he goes, 
I can't hold this guy. But there were 500 people around the courthouse who wanted to lynch Pratt. <laughs> and uh, so the judge held him overnight and then gave him a horse and or gave him a horse and said, get out of town. But Hector's friends had tracked him and they, uh, they found out that Platt was out of jail. They chased him eight miles west of town and Hector McLean murdered Parley P. Pratt. And at that point, Eleanor was by that time in custody with Parley and she superintends burying him and then uh, goes back down the river to try to get her children back, can't do that, and winds up on June 18th in St. Louis. And I tracked the story very closely when I was researching Blood of the Prophets, and I read charges that in Salt Lake, Eleanor McLean had essentially fingered the Fancher party, that she'd blamed the Fancher party for the murder of Parley Pratt. And when I read those well, charges, I go, well, wait a minute. She's in St. Louis on June 18th, and the Pancher Party gets into Salt Lake in August. So how could she get that far that quickly? Yeah. And finally, I uh, was looking at a source that I never looked at, and my friend Harold Schindler had studied Porter Rockwell. He wrote, or Porter Rockwell, Man of God, mm -hmm. Son of Thunder. Mm -hmm. And in, in all his research over 30 years, he never apparently learned that how Eleanor got to Salt Lake was the Mormon mail agents expressed her up to, to Fort Laramie. And from Fort Laramie, she got into Fort Laramie in mid-July, uh, Porter Rockwell put her in the mail wagon, which was empty because there was no mail, and in five days got her 500 miles from Fort Laramie. Wow. And she got into Salt Lake the day before uh, Pioneer Day, July wow. 24th. Wow. And so uh, Pratt and uh, his companions go up and inform Brigham Young at uh the big festival, the Pioneers' uh -huh. picnic celebration yeah. at Brighton, that the Army's coming. <laughs> and they also tell him, by the way, we've got the Widow Pratt down there in uh -oh. Salt Lake. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so, Which uh, <laughs> this, this whole event has been staged, because Brigham Young knows already the Army's coming. But now he knows for sure the Army's coming, and he gets up and announces to a select group that uh, the end of the world is coming, and if the United States Army invades Utah, it's all over, and goes back to town, and on Sunday night, they have a big prayer circle, and I'm sure that the widow Pratt informed them all about how Parley was murdered. Mm -hmm. The Fancher Party comes through town a week later, mm -hmm. and that day, the day after, they send George A. Smith down to arrange the murder mm -hmm. of the Fancher party. So in the beginning of it all, we've got polygamy has played quite an important part in. Yes. In <laughs> yeah. Well, polygamy p plays a role like this throughout Mormon history. Mm -hmm. um, it, the Mormon historians have been 
tied themselves in knots trying to explain why Joseph Smith uh, uh, introduced polygamy. Now, for many of us who are not believing Mormon historians, it's not hard to figure out why Joseph Smith did this. Smith was young. He was oversexed. He was narcissistic. He was completely obsessed with himself. And as he becomes more and more self-involved, he never thinks about anyone or anything but himself. And whatever he wants, if it's somebody else's money, if it's somebody else's wife, if it's somebody else's daughter, he feels entitled, and he's going to get it. Mm -hmm. But he has to come up with a way to justify it. Mm -hmm. And the way to justify it is this very complex and quite interesting and very revolutionary theology that is now Mormon theology. Mm -hmm. And it involves extended families. It involves the true blood of Israel. Do you know anything about that? I know they call themselves Israel, which they're not, but I'm not sure I know what you're talking about, the true blood. Well, many polygamous cults today uh, marry sisters. Marry oh, well, within the, the, the group I'm from does that, the Kingston group. I yes, came from that yes. group, and that's what they do. And the, what's the purpose of that? Because they have to have pure Kingston blood running through their veins because the Kingston blood came from the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Israel. It's that pure blood of Jesus mm -hmm. that um, the Mormon apostles, many of them boasted that they were descended mm -hmm. from Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, right. And, and uh, that's with their true. theory that Jesus was a poor and, 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 and Brigham Young even taught, and not only him, but he did teach that sisters and brothers should marry, that it was okay if they did. And the idea was to create a pure Race. bloodline yeah. that was completely blood of Israel. Yeah. Uh, now, all this sounds completely crazy, but it was all part of a very complicated culture and religion and system that Joseph Smith created. Mm -hmm. And he was a genius. He was uh, an inspired, uh, for my money, an inspired con man. He, was, he knew how to size up a person and how to take control. He oh, told, yes, he did that, for he, sure. He told William Law, once you get a man's money, you can do anything with him. And once you could have the man turn over his daughters so you could marry her in a celestial relationship and become kin of Joseph Smith and the highest... Uh, and be eligible for the highest rank of celestial glory. That was a pretty compelling argument mm -hmm. to many of these poor mm -hmm. backwoods. Yeah, they think people. a lot of their marriages were dynastic on on mm -hmm. on for the part of the in-law, but for Joseph Smith it was just another But for my money, the whole system was I, I call it a system of entanglements. Once you became involved in Smith and his manipulations, and you were made a president of something, or the, the chief mucky muck in some of the very complicated hierarchy of the Mormon church, um, it was very, very difficult to get away. And uh, the latest volume of Kingdom in the West is called Playing with Shadows, uh, Voices of Dissent in the Mormon West. Mm -hmm. And it's about people who joined the church, often in England, with very idealistic hopes. 
with a belief that they were going to become part of a better society, mm -hmm. a true Christianity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a primitive Christianity. And they get out to Salt Lake and they find what one of Brigham Young's state presidents called a system of aggrandizement, mm -hmm. where the big bugs, as Charles Derry calls them, uh, control everything, all the resources, mm -hmm. all the money, That's all right. the women. Uh, and 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 the, the these poor people who'd been so exploited and so sacrificed so much for their religion were caught up in it and couldn't really break free. They they couldn't. They were caught up into it, and they couldn't. And and there was, they didn't know exactly what was going on that came down from the top, just like it is today. They they would teach that that polygamy was. Um, a, a superior system, not uh, because they thought that everybody on the uh, that weren't Mormons were having these adulterous marriages. So this way, they were just doing the right thing in a superior way. The same thing, only in a superior way. In fact, in this book, The Kingdom of the West, um, uh, doing the works of Abraham, in one of the chapters, you say, I think it's on page uh, 178, you talk about in Manti, more than, at one point, more than one-third of the men's wives divorced the men. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if, if there were that many divorce, polygamous men had that many wives, one-third of them divorced, doesn't that kind of throw a wrench in the idea that this is a superior system? Uh, well, you'd think so, <laughs> unless you were in the hierarchy, because... <laughs> It was one of the ways, as the system evolved in, in Utah, uh, polygamy created certainly for women raised in America or England or Western cultures. Polygamy was an abomination. It was a trait of the far west. It was, or not the Far West, the Far East, the, far the East. Middle East, mm -hmm. the Turks and the Ottomans mm -hmm. and the Arabs. Uh, it was completely alien from the American system. Mm -hmm. And it was naturally disastrous because human relationships uh, involve uh, possession and jealousy mm -hmm. and sharing a mate with someone else is a prescription for unhappiness certainly at least in our culture. But what one of the relief valves for the Mormon system was that any woman who was unhappy with her husband or considered him not up to snuff could divorce him and compel somebody with a higher priesthood mm -hmm. rank to marry her. Right, right. In fact, Brigham Young also said that was, I think Joseph Smith also said that would be the thing to do. Well, he did it. He would yeah. go out oh, and yeah, he did. tell women, sell himself to women. On Why that. in the early West did you think that the polygamy itself, the practice of polygamy was, was uh, more painful to the women than any other part of the population? And yet so many times you'll see the women are, are aggressively defending it. It's one of the, it's one of the painful realities of how how this system and the way that it uh, warped people in many ways. 
the women who are the most vocal defenders, Emmeline Wells, um, yeah. uh, Eliza Snow, uh, I have a Even great, Helen Mark Kimball did, and she and was Helen married Mark at 14. When... And, and these people had been victimized, were married to men who were heartless mm -hmm. and abused them, treated them terribly. Uh, and here's poor Helen Marr, who is the son of Heber C. Kim, the daughter of Heber C. Kimmel. She's 14 years old, and this sexual predator, who claims to be a prophet, mm -hmm. decides he wants to sleep with her. Yeah. And convinces dad that, yeah, you got to turn over your daughter to me. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. And she spends the rest of her life, she's actually in love with a, a young boy named Horace Whitney. Mm -hmm. Horace is a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. And, and he, he is a member of Brigham Young's Pioneer Company. And he eventually marries Helen after Joseph Smith after is Joseph shot. Smith but guess what? He becomes a polygamist. No, he doesn't. He can't be sealed to her for eternity. She is Joseph Smith's property and wife. And Horace has to settle for being her husband for time. And she, she is permanently affected by this exploitative relationship. But she writes in her later years what a great system it is. And they defend it. Yeah. It's like Stockholm Syndrome. You know, you know what uh, that yes, is? Yes, I do, and I think that that's probably what it is. Because how, how, how many women did you know growing up whose lives were miserable? My mother! But would She's, defend she, she had a hell of a life, and she was always bathing herself in buckets of tears, and she defended it tooth and nail to her mm -hmm. dying breath. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, it goes back to religious belief and conviction, and these women had sacrificed so much for their faith and had or, endured so much personal suffering that for them to look at it and go, this is just a racket. I'm just being uh, exploited here. Mm -hmm. No, they had they they bought into the culture and the system, and th they they couldn't denounce it. Well, and their eternity depended on it too. And, we and can't the, ever forget that part of it. Upon it so. On page one eighty five of that book, you have a chapter heading. One of the chapter headings says. Uh, they practice as a virtue what others do secretly as a sin. <laughs> that was one of the uh, Mormon defenses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. Where they uh, do you think now? Non-Mormons refused to accept the polygamous lifestyle uh, of the Mormons in the 1800s. Public opinion was definitely against. Definitely. Uh, what what they their practice the, uh, the Mormons of a whole, but uh, that was probably. Do you believe that was probably mostly because primarily because they practiced polygamy? Um, the causes of hostility to Mormonism are twofold. Uh, polygamy is the most scandalous and sexy element of what makes Mormons so different and what makes them other, what makes them un-American and different than mainstream Americans. Uh, and the, the church had won a number of political enemies. And many of them were, didn't really care if, how many wives the Mormons wanted to have. 
and some many many people felt, well, that's it's their business, it's their religion, leave them alone. But Mormon politics and power uh, really won some committed uh, opponents. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert N. Baskin. Uh, I, I, there are a number of young people, young kids in this room who are, I think, from Utah, and I would bet not one of them has ever heard of Robert N. Baskin. Uh, Robert N. Baskin is the father of modern Utah, and he was the first non-Mormon mayor of Salt Lake. Hmm. He paved Salt Lake streets. He put in the sewers. Uh, he did all the things that the corrupt uh, early mayors like Daniel H. Wells, who was married to Emmeline mm -hmm. Wells, uh, wouldn't do because they were putting all the money in their pockets. But Baskin had come out, he was a Harvard Law School uh, trained attorney. He came to Utah, became a mining attorney, and you know, looked around. And early Mormon culture was very structured, very ordered. The settlement, they were hardworking, they mm -hmm. were decent people, mm -hmm. and he was quite impressed by it. But the more he looked, the more odd things began to appear. <laughs> and finally, he had a very close friend who was a ch had been a chaplain with uh, at Camp Douglas, Fort Douglas now, and his name was John King Robinson. He was a very talented young doctor. He'd married uh, the daughter of a prominent Mormon uh, law lawman, uh, and and she'd apostatized. But he'd married her, and he was teaching Sunday school in Salt Lake, a Protestant Sunday school, and was running a bowling alley and had decided that he was going to claim the Warm Springs, where the Children's Museum used to be and the Wasatch mm -hmm. Plunge. Yeah, I remember well, that. Well, he decided that the Mormons didn't have any legitimate land claims in Utah in 1867, so he claimed the Warm Springs. And in, in reaction to that, Mayor Daniel Wells uh, tells him that if he keeps doing this, he's going to get in, he, he's, he, he, he better be in fear for his life. Blood atonement. So it, Mayor Wells <laughs> sends the Salt Lake police after Dr. Robinson. They send a, a man who is pretending that his friend has broken his leg. It's the middle of the night. He's down on 3rd South. Uh, right across from where the cliff building is now. And his wife pleads with him, don't go, don't go. And he's a doctor. He has to answer the call of duty. Yeah. He goes out. He's jumped by the police. And they just want to beat him up. Yeah. But guess what? John King Robinson is a very athletic uh, young man. And he fights back. <laughs> and they finally end up butchering the poor man. Oh. Oh my goodness. And he is murdered and left in the street. And uh, the police all swear that they were at the circus. But um, Robert Baskin goes to the morgue. He sees his mutilated dear friend lying there. And he swears on John King Robinson's body that he will destroy Mormon theocracy. Wow. And he will work until every vestige of Mormon power in Utah, control of power, is destroyed. 
And to do that, Robert Baskin begins writing bills for Congress, and uh, the most drastic of them is the Cullum Act, which uh, eventually most of that is incorporated in the anti-polygamy legislation. Mm -hmm. It takes him mm -hmm. 20 years, but the Edmonds-Tucker Act is mm -hmm. essentially the creation of Robert Baskin. That is very interesting. And it is that legal crusade that p terminates uh, Mormon polygamy. Oh, well, good for people who would do things like that. Um, Grover Cleveland evidently was written a letter by William Proctor Huey in 1885, and in that letter he wrote, an Oliver Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell type of man is the only one that will ever stamp out Mormon polygamy. What did he mean by that? Well, <laughs> Oliver Cromwell was the uh, ruler of Puritan Britain. Uh, the, the, uh, England experienced a civil war in the 1640s, and in 1649 they cut off the head of King Charles I. <laughs> <coughs> oh, excuse me, I've got a cold. But Parliament then took over the government and made Cromwell the Lord Protector. And he was essentially the dictator of uh, England. But he was a very forceful personality. Um, he was not popular. He was a religious zealot uh, in many, many ways. And, uh, but he ran England, and uh, if you were a Puritan, it probably worked pretty well. Uh, after he died, uh, there was no good method of secession, and uh, they invited Charles II to come back and restore the monarchy. <laughs> but, but, but Cromwell was an authoritarian figure, and it would be, it would take, he was also a man of immense power and character. He'd won the militarily, defeated the royal armies. So he couldn't, couldn't he, so did it mean he couldn't be bought off by the Mormon hierarchy, or did it mean that he would be? He couldn't be intimidated. Be, he couldn't be intimidated by them. He and, just, <laughs> and Robert Baskin probably was that. Was the Oliver Cromwell. <laughs> he was that Oliver Cromwell character. But, Oh, uh, first of all, though, uh, th this book is, has been called, even by uh, scholars at BYU, the best book ever written about polygamy. And it's actually... It's good. I enjoy. It was actually put together by Carmen Hardy. And Carmen, B. Carmen Hardy, uh, it was an emeritus professor of history at Cal State Fullerton. He is a scholar and a gentleman. Uh, it was an immense honor to be able to work with this mm, man. Imagine. And he is acknowledged as the authority on Mormon polygamy. Yes, and the Psalm Covenant is an excellent book. I've used that a lot in some of my and, research. And you can tell us. from the quality. Uh, I, I collaborated a lot on, on this with Carmen. I edited mm -hmm. a good bit of it. Mm -hmm. But he, he, it's his book, and I, I, I need to credit him with it. Uh, but it is. It's a... Uh, a source book on mm -hmm. how the Mormons defended polygamy, how American politicians attacked it, uh, how people really lived it, and how people reacted to it. Mm -hmm. And what a what a inhumane system it was. Oh, very inhumane. And and that's what's amazing because the women are the ones that were treated the worst and suffered most, and yet they often. Um, Defend aggressively it. defended it. Mm -hmm. Well, we are going to open up the telephone lines right now. If you would like to call in and ask our guest a question, we'd love to hear from you. 
Uh, we would ask, however, that when you call in that you be sure and stay on topic as uh, um, uh, respect for our guests tonight. Please stay on topic. If you have something else or if you call in with something else that's off topic, we will ask you to call back another week. Our telephone number is 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. And as we're waiting for the calls to come in, we do have a message we'd like to share with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, Make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. Uh, we are interviewing tonight Will Bagley. He's the author of several uh, wonderful books about early American or early uh, Utah and Western history, uh, specifically talking about polygamy tonight, of course. Uh, we have opened our phone lines. Our number is 801-973-TV20. We do appreciate your calls, but be sure that your telephone call is on topic, uh, a call for our guest. Before we take um, the first call, and we do have several calls waiting, uh, Will, would you explain the 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 me, the 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 level of content or happiness in polygamous marriages of any kind, not just Mormon, but any kind of polygamous marriages throughout the world? 
Well, one of the ironies of uh, the history of Mormon polygamy is that when Wilford Woodruff reluctantly issued the manifesto and essentially said, we will obey the law. And the whole crusade against polygamy, the persecution over polygamy, was really at root an attempt by the federal government to get the Mormons to follow American marriage law. Yeah. And they lost in the Supreme Court and they refused to give up. And I'm proud that I had two ancestors part of this longest campaign of civil disobedience in American history. Isn't that amazing? And they were prisoners for conscience sake and they sacrificed a lot. But it was a disastrous system. It was, as my great-great-aunt Mid told me, uh, at my grandfather's 90th birthday, she said, Polygamy was just a way for old men to marry young girls. <laughs> and, and it was not, in, it's just not a, it's not a system that promotes human happiness. And, and a test of that was an observation I heard a rabbi make once, that there are no happy polygamous marriages in the Bible. That's right. Absolutely true. In fact, the whole story of polygamy is one st a story of jealousy and contention and excess. Mm -hmm. Solomon and his concubines, which is referenced in uh, Mormon uh, Doctrine and Covenants, it was a, it was, it was it was a, a disaster. Was a and, and when Wilford Woodruff withdrew or, or said, we'll follow the law, and backed off polygamy, he believed, based on Joseph Smith's prophecies, that Smith would be back with Jesus by Christmas, by his 85th birthday, mm -hmm. based on the prophecies in the Doctrine and Covenants. Mm -hmm. And he thought this is just to keep them out of from seizing the temple and, and closing down our temple. So it was a temporary protection, it was a, and, but, but, but it was last. only wasn't going to last. Yeah. But what happened was, once they stopped the system, publicly proclaimed they were going to obey the law, Mormon women wouldn't have it back. That was it. That's, there was not yeah. the public support. The people who actually had to bear the burden of the system were tired of it. It was not worth the cost. Yeah. It wasn't worth the, the emotional cost. The cost was great, cost. for sure. Yeah. Okay, we have some calls coming in. And off the air question says, why do, you, why do you call the LDS prophets rather than presidents? It makes it sound like you are agreeing that they are prophets. Um, we're just speaking according to the way the people are talking about these people. So it's not saying that we are agreeing or disagreeing. If they want to call themselves prophets, that's fine. Of course... We only believe in the prophets of the Bible. We don't believe in living prophets. Jesus is our living prophet. So that's kind of semantics. Uh, I believe in prophets with an F. You have what? Prophets oh. with an F. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Line two, we have Mike calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Mike. Yes. You're on the air. I have a question for uh, Mr. Bagley. I heard that uh, at the end of the Utah War, I, I think it was called Johnson's Army? It was the United States Army. It wasn't uh, Albert Sidney Johnson's Army. It was Uncle Sam's Army. Anyway, the Army came in and uh, set up, what, Camp Williams? Camp Floyd. And then a number of the troops were Buffalo soldiers or black troops. There weren't there any. Was... No, no. 
You need to read uh, the Mormon Rebellion. It, it'll explain what, what actually happened. Uh, there were some Buffalo soldiers later stationed at Camp Douglas, Fort Douglas in Salt Lake. And they were stationed here in the 1890s. Uh, they, when they came in, they were greeted with a lot of hostility. But when they marched out to fight in the Spanish-American War, Salt Lake citizens lined the streets and cheered them because they'd been such good soldiers. Okay, uh, let's go with that. I understand that there was direction or edicts or something from the uh, uh, church hierarchy that said if, uh, directed that if uh, a woman was caught fraternizing with one of the black troops, uh, it could be a capital offense, and uh, that from time to time there were beheadings. Uh, is that an urban legend, or do you know anything, any stories like that that bear out? Well, you're, con you're confusing a couple of stories. It wasn't with black troops, it was with any troops. And there are, in fact, reports in the Army records and in the Church Historian's Office Journal of women's heads being found near Camp Floyd, mm -hmm. of women who had apparently consorted with Army troops. And they were, all troops at this time were white. Uh, it was a, uh, so it wasn't a racial incident. It was a way of controlling Mormon women. Mm -hmm. But it is yeah. a legend. We do have these reports yeah. of heads being discovered in the vicinity of Camp Floyd, mm -hmm. which was a clear way to send a message. Well, and, I, and I've also read some of the quotes of the early Mormons that they wouldn't threaten to take their heads off if they were rebelling against the authority. So well, the, threat, the threat was there verbally yeah. as well. And, and it was certainly how many people, the Danites or the Brigham Young's boys, killed is a good question. But they certainly convinced people they killed a lot of people. Yeah. So they were they were using fear to control a population. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer your question, Mike? Uh, well, it didn't make it any more clear, but I'll, uh, well, it did a bit that there was actually instances of these beheadings. But uh, thank you. Well, buy the book, The Mormon Rebellion. He said it'll clear up a lot of it for you. All right. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Robert calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Robert. Uh, yes. Yes, what's your question? You're on the air. Oh, thank you. Um, this is for Will. Uh, Will, I just wanted to compliment you. You are a very good, talented writer. Um, and uh, I'm one of your big fans. Um, I had a question for you on the Meadow Mountain Massacre in uh, September 11th, 1857, uh, the Arkansas pioneers were coming over in wagons, and of course, as we know the story, they were killed. Um, after you wrote that book, um, there was another uh, author, I believe it was here in Utah, who wrote about it, and they changed a lot of historical events, making it sound like that Brigham Young had nothing to play a role in regards to that massacre. What are your thoughts on that? And then my other question is, um, are you Mormon or have you left the church? And I hate to put you on the spot, 
but I'm a fan of your of all your writings, and I just was wondering where you kind of stand today with the church, and I will get off the phone and have you answer those two questions for me. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take the easy one first, and, and the easy one is, uh, like my brother Pat, I, I'm what they call a retired Mormon. Okay. But... <laughs> I also, I, I, there's an interview with me about Mitt Romney on Al Jazeera that just came out. And I it didn't make the interview, but I told uh, the interviewer that being Mormon is like being Jewish, except worse. In that if you're raised Mormon, uh, it does an awful lot to shape your character, and it's really hard to uh, shake it. And I, uh, I, I think people who leave the Mormon Church go through all kinds of stages. And I left the Mormon Church oh, almost 50 years ago. So I've been through all the stages. But I have over time come to appreciate uh, what it gave me and the good qualities that I was able to take out of Mormonism. But I think... I think to this day it's a system of entanglements, and I think that it is simply patently untrue, and that you cannot look at the history and believe that Joseph Smith found and translated a golden Bible because he couldn't have lifted right. the golden Bible that, out of the ground. That in itself. It yeah. would have been too heavy. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I, I find Mormon history fascinating. And I find that Western historians, uh, like most Americans, they don't want to take on a, religious, a religion. Uh, Americans are very careful about being prejudiced and about being bigoted against people. So uh, historians just don't want to deal with the complexities of Mormon history. But at the same time, it's a tremendous source for overland trails, for Western settlement, Western water law, Western Indians. Uh, the records really haven't been touched by Western historians, mm -hmm. and that's what I set out to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I am a retired Mormon. So did Brigham Young have anything to do with the... He was in it up to his eyeballs. <laughs> I, think, I, think what, I think what happens is Eleanor gets into town, she, uh, they decide, yeah, we're going to get even. We're going to avenge the blood of the prophets. And by that they meant Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith and Parley P. Pratt and David Patton and anybody else who died for the church. So they send George A. Smith south with orders, kill every American coming through the Southern Trail. And that's what the boys do. That is what, this is the simplest explanation. It makes a lot of sense that everything that then happens follows that directive. Mm -hmm. And Young has to write a, his alibi, his great alibi letter, says, um, don't mess with them. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't attack the immigrant trains. Well, come on, it's, this is America. You're, why do you have to send why orders to, to someone right. because you've issued an order to kill everybody? And it saves the last few uh, wagons that are going through that they are not killed. And the, the authorities down there were very clearly getting ready to kill everybody. Mm, yeah. And they'd already killed 120 people, 80, men, 80 women and children. Wow. 
Uh, and they'd done it not because America's a violent place or um, this, that, or the other. They did it because they were told to, they'd been conditioned to obey, mm -hmm. and they did it as a religious mm -hmm. act. Right. Now, uh, Brigham Young, um, when he died, what, were, this, was, were they still as aggressive and as violent against um, Gentiles as after Brigham Young was gone? <laughs> I, my, a friend, of, a professor friend of mine asked, when did Mormons stop killing each other? <laughs> and I said, Floyd, you know that. You know the answer to that. It's after Brigham Young dies. <laughs> And I think that in many ways that's so true. So the violence kind uh, of... John Taylor was bit. a real defender of polygamy, mm -hmm. but he was a, a very different man than Brigham Young, a very decent character, and he didn't like the violence. He didn't like the ruthlessness that Brigham Young applied to everything. And so I think they moderated their violence. Okay. Line three, we have Alfred calling from Murray. Hello, Alfred. Hello? Hello, I'm, I'm, I'm here. You're on the air. Hello. Yes, you're on the air, Alfred. What's your question? My question is, I have a couple parts. First of all, I really like your attire this evening. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> she, I think she's awesome. very well dressed. Um, and a real compliment to yellow shirt. And well, I want to stay on topic, though. Uh, you... How many wives do you have, and, and how, how can you afford them? I'm curious to know about the financial situation of polygamy. How many wives do you have? I have one wife. I had one, but she left me. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And, and, I, and she, we got a divorce, but um, my second marriage, like many second marriages, is much, much better than the oh, first experiment. Your, your son has two wives? No, my... <laughs> no, my son isn't single. <laughs> There's no polygamy represented here except for our ancestors. How's that? Yeah. Oh, I apologize. I, I totally misunderstood the episode. Um, but my, my question, my second question is, um, uh, is... Polygamy legal or not? I don't know. I'm interested in possibly. No. Uh, I got a couple prospects. I'm not married myself, but uh, I, I'm looking. You got a couple I'm open of prospects. Well, we would suggest that you don't do it because it is a felony. A felony? Yes, sir. Wow. Okay, yeah. I better um, stay single. Look a little more. Yeah, is it legal safe. in Arizona? No, it's also a felony down there. It's illegal in the entire United States of America. It's illegal in Canada, and it's illegal in Mexico. So oh, Mexico. I would suggest Damn, you stay as you are. Okay. okay, thank you. Right. Well, I appreciate your time. That's all the questions I have for okay. you. And um, I love your uh, black handkerchief around your neck. Too. Okay, good night. Thanks for your call. Line one, we have Daisy calling from Ogden. Hello, Daisy. You're on the air. Hi, how are you guys doing? Great, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Well, I'm a little puzzled. I have a question. So, um, concerning uh, David, David had a, uh, a bunch of wives, right? And um, my, my personal belief is I don't believe that the Bible condones polygamy, but this verse has troubled me for a little bit. It's um, 2 Samuel 12, 8, and it says, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. 
And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. And um, the, the way that that verse reads, it almost sounds like God condones the fact that David has a lot of wives. So I'm kind of wondering how you interpret that. Um, Daisy, we've talked about that a lot on previous shows, and I also have a, a little Bible study booklet here. It's called Is Polygamy Biblical? You're welcome okay. to go online and order this book for free, and it'll talk all about David's wives. Uh, actually, we don't have enough time to go over that tonight, but it is not, absolutely, God is not condoning or commanding polygamy at that point. But we have talked about it on the show several times, so we'd rather go on to the topic of uh, what our guest is here for tonight. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, quickly, we have Jeff calling from Elko. Hello, Jeff. Yes. You're on the air. Can you make it quick? We're getting close to the end of the show. Well, welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. What's I, your question? <laughs> I just wanted to make a comment to Doris and let you know that I watch your show every week, and I really, really enjoy it. And you're so wonderful bringing out the message that polygamy is wrong. It is not biblically supported. Uh, Abraham had two wives only because his wife didn't understand God's command. That's right. And she was trying to help him do something that God already had in control. That's true. That's right. And I appreciate your oh. call, and thank you. It's encouraging. I just wanted to let you know that so thank you mm, thanks for calling okay we have about if you can do in 30 seconds <laughs> can you say uh, summarizing Mormon polygamy what is the best and the worst results of the practice oh the best results are all, all of our cousins all of the wonderful people <laughs> all of our relations. who came out of the system <laughs> and, and the Mormon people are some of the best people you could ever hope to meet uh, so that, that's the upside. Uh, the evil side is the legacy of Joseph Smith and the practices of the true Joseph Smith Mormons who are implementing the worst aspects of uh, Mormon political control and mm -hmm. uh, abuse of women uh, and accu accu accumulation of power. And you have parasites and predators like Warren Jeffs, mm -hmm. who are ruining uh, hundreds of people's lives. lives. Well, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate all of your insight. And, well, and, Doris, and is we, a lot of fun. Yeah, well, we'll get you back then. <laughs> Our guest tonight expresses himself as as just telling uh, history like it is, that he isn't anti-anything. And our show is often described as being anti-polygamist or anti-Mormon, and neither of that is true, of course. We love the people of this culture, but we see the dangers and the abuses and the inequality of the polygamous system, and we do testify from biblical authority that polygamy was never uh, commanded by God. The historical account of polygamy in the Jewish nation or other cultures was never used as a means for pleasing God. It was never used is an essential for eternal life like the Mormon polygamists have used it. Our desire is simply to bring out historical truths, imploring our viewers to investigate our claims and come to know that God is not the source of polygamy. The Bible tells us that God is our Savior, polygamy is not. That God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That there's one God and one mediator between man and God and that's Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Polygamy is not the ransom 
ransom for anyone. Polygamy is not the mediator between man and God. Jesus is. Polygamy is neither required nor accepted by God. Polygamy doesn't save. Jesus Christ does that. And that's what we want you to know. Historically, polygamy hurts people. Historically, polygamy holds a culture back and holds women hostage as uh, to the inequality and as second-class citizens. We urge our viewers to seek the true deep love of God who wants all women to know the true love of a husband and to selfishly have him all to herself just as God originally designed marriage to be monogamy. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.